0: Welcome to the C.L. Brown Show. I am your host, C.L. Brown, columnist with the Louisville Courier-Journal. If you came to hear a podcast free of Super Bowl hype, then you're in the right place. Joining me on this episode is ESPN college basketball color analyst Jay Billis, who'd get my vote as czar of college basketball if there was ever an election of sorts. With a guest who holds as much insight as Jay, I don't want to limit his time. So we'll skip sound off until next week. And jump right into the conversation. Welcome to the show, Jay. I appreciate you joining me.
1: My pleasure, CL. Thanks for having me. Yes.
0: Yeah, so you have been courtside uh, calling a couple of Kentucky's recent games. Um, so I'll start with the nonsensical. Have you ever seen yourself eating ice cream in reverse before?
1: In reverse, no. I, and I still haven't seen that. Do, oh, you didn't do see show that? No, I didn't see that. Be oh, great. wow. They
0: caught you uh, at Rupp Arena. For those who've never been to Rupp Arena before, they they have a feature during timeouts, dead balls, where they have a reverse eating camera. And so they'll catch just people in the audience eating their food and they'll put it in reverse. And you had <laughs> some vanilla ice
1: cream. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. yeah. That's one of my favorite traditions. It's become a tradition now when I go to Rupp. So, uh, I can't think of a better one than that. That's it's awesome.
0: <laughs> That's great that you didn't even know it. That's awesome. So I, I'm joking around, but UK fans are, are nearly in panic mode right now, um, which is sometimes an annual tradition, whether it's <laughs> whether it's deserved or not. But defensively, this team is on pace to have its worst year under John Calipari, um, looking at the metrics on kenpom.com you called the Wildcats' overtime loss to Florida last week. What, what do you kind of see as the heart of their defensive issues?
1: Well, there, there are a few things. One, they score so easily, and I think especially with a young team, it's difficult to get a young team to value defensive possessions when you score so easy. I remember years ago, I think it was in 2009, when Roy Williams had that juggernaut team that ultimately won the national championship at North Carolina, uh, you know, he was complaining about their defense and um, like most coaches do, you know, there's always something, something they need to improve upon. But he pointed out to me, he says, you know, when you have a team that can score a hundred points, like they know they can score on anybody. It, it's hard to get them to, to really lock in and value that. And I think coaches for, for ever, I was going to say for decades, but forever have, have, probably thought that, or at least this is the dominant thought in my view and of the coaches that I've talked about it with, is that it's really hard to get a team uh, to have uh, an offensive and defensive identity at the same time. You know, you have a team that, that locks down defensively. Maybe they're not, you know, Tennessee's gone through that where, you know, they've been so great defensively and they go, yeah, but their offense is going to let them down. Other teams that can really score, yeah, but their defense is going to let them down. So, Kentucky has a Final Four offense. They've got a, a defense that's kind of on the bubble, uh, really. And part of it is, you know, like Reed Shepard is he, he leads the SEC in steals. But I, I, and I don't know this to be true, but I think if you ask the coaching staff, would you trade a steal and a half of his per game for him being more man oriented and staying in front of the ball and all that stuff? I think the answer would be yes. Um it, it, so you, you can have a, a possession where 80% of it's perfect, and that means four guys are doing the exact right thing and one guy's not. You're gonna get scored on. and they have those kind of possessions. And they should have won the game at uh, against Florida at yeah. rough. They had the game essentially had the game won. it was not Dillingham missing the back end of that that two shot free throw that would have pushed it to four with that much time left, you know, coaches are split on do you foul, not foul. You know, you're asking a team to do that. And, and you're also asking the officials to call it the right way. There are, there are more variables than most fans think as to whether you should foul or not foul. To me, that wasn't the issue. The issue on that was in that situation, there are two things you have to do. No threes, no fouls. And, and Reed Shepard was playing help defense as, as you probably would on most possessions, but not there,
0: Yeah,
1: not, you know, there you're guarding the three point line. So it was just recognition of time score and the foul situation. And, and he, he's a freshman. He didn't do that. Seniors don't do that sometimes. Um, It's difficult, but they wound up giving up a three there and going to overtime. And then it was in my view, then it was an issue of maturity, you know, like, like, all of a sudden, Florida's going back with new life, and they were bouncing up and down to play an extra five minutes. And I think it took a while for Kentucky to snap out of what we shouldn't be in overtime. What are we doing here? Yeah, yeah. Instead of just instead of just moving on to the next play. And it's easy to say next play mentality. It's hard to do. That's why so few teams uh, can do it. But I still think you know you're not going to get uh, Kentucky's not going to turn into Houston. You know in mm-hmm. the last month of the season but that's not the issue the issue is like when you, you you pointed out the analytics which is a really good point and the analytics show that kentucky has not done the best job they can defensively but the analytics don't tell you what they're capable of yeah. and kentucky's capable of being much better so the issue is what can the trend line look like going down the stretch and i think they learned some hard lessons but if Kentucky had gone one and one last week, they're the same team. Okay. And maybe the 0-2 thing um, uh, resonates with them. And they they make a jump. Like, I, I happen to think that happened with this year's North Carolina team. Like, that that's a team now. When was the last time the lead story was North Carolina's defense? It's uh-huh. always been their offense. Probably their when Dean game, Smith was still coaching. <laughs> maybe even, but honestly, maybe even not then. Yeah. You were worried, you were scared of their transition and their offensive execution, their ability to put points on the board, you're thinking about how to stop them, not how to score on them. And that, in my view, the, the the switch flipped for them. They played back-to-back. UConn and Kentucky lost both games. They gave up 87 points to each of UConn and Kentucky, two fantastic offensive teams. Since then, they've given up over 70 only once, and that was to duke who's a i think an excellent offensive team and and is continuing to trend upward so can that kind of thing happen with kentucky maybe not to the same level but they can get significantly better there's still a long time to go in this this thing and, and i really do believe in the the use of analytics you know this this tells us what we've done it does not tell us where we're capable of going and to me the second part of that is the most important for for the wildcats
0: yeah it's funny you were also uh you called maybe one of their maybe their best defensive game of the year when they won at Arkansas now Arkansas has had its own problems uh this season or what have you but uh that was kind of a a it, it wasn't a pretty game it wasn't a Kentucky's out in transition scoring 80 game it was we have to make stops and we have to you know kind of make do on offense and and you know they were able to pull it out. So uh, to your point, they are capable of of locking in and and maybe getting this thing. Uh, I don't even want to say turned around because <laughs> I, I don't think they're in crisis either. But you know the, the defensive end is is uh, something serious here. Um, part of that though, uh, I wanted to touch on Rob Dillingham for a second. Just his his wild card nature. You know he'll make a great play. Uh, He's he's capable of doing some things that have John Calipari going crazy. Is is there a good comparison for for Rob Dillingham in your mind of of a player he reminds you of?
1: There probably are. I'm horrible at comparisons. Um, What I would say is I think any coach would prefer yelling whoa than yelling giddy up to a player. (laughs) And you don't you don't have to yell giddy up at at Rob Dillingham. I mean, he's a a fabulous talent, and he's only going to get better. And, you know, so I I think kind of dialing it down in certain situations for him, like he took a couple shots, one in particular at the end of the half against Florida that uh, put Kentucky in a little bit of a bad spot where they could separate from Florida, and they wound up – I can't remember the exact score – but, you know, they, they could have gone into halftime, you know, up significantly. And instead, you know, they were within five or whatever it was because they didn't handle end of half as well. And part of that is, you know, the offensive end, you know, you want your team to go 100 miles an hour on defense and you want them to, to slow down a little bit on offense. It's a weird dichotomy there. But, you know, how you handle those situations can often determine how, whether you win games or not. And with, with freshmen, sometimes that's more difficult, or, or maybe almost all the time it's more difficult. But I don't, I don't think that's a problem. It's just a, an evolution of a player. Uh, he's nothing but good news. And how many teams have a weapon like Dillingham to bring off the bench where if you are having difficulty and you've got players out or players just coming back from sitting out of, uh, with an injury, and they have plenty of those that are still trying to – you know, kind of get integrated into the team and, and play a new way with all the big guys coming back. And Justin Edwards was out for the Florida game and all that didn't practice. Um, that, I think, I think those things can and will get figured out, um, and, and improved upon just like we talked about with the defense, but, but who would say no to having a weapon like Dillingham, whether he starts or comes off the bench, um, you know, like Kentucky deserves a little more credit than I think they're getting uh, from schleps like me and from fans. They played shorthanded against Florida. And if I remember right, Reed Shepard played every single second in that yeah. game. Dillingham okay. played way. He played 40 minutes or more, which is not the norm. And uh, and, you know. Onyenso played a lot because he was the most effective and he had a great game. You can't expect a guy to get 16 rebounds of seven blocks every game. It's not going to happen. But the fact that you can do it in a game is pretty encouraging. So I think Kentucky has... They still have the ability to hit every goal that they set before the season. And uh, their postseason hopes, I think, are still very, very good. It just It's going to require... Continuing to to get better every day. I know people don't want to hear that, but you know, at the end of the year, if Kentucky does really well in the tournament, do you think people are going to go? Yeah, but remember that one week in February when we went zero and two. You know, they're not. That's not the lead story. Yeah,
0: yeah. And uh, how many games did UConn lose in a row last year? I think it was what four in a row before. That's
1: that's the that's a great point. It's something that has always fascinated me about the way we look at basketball now. You know, you watch an NBA game, nobody's freaking out over, you know, the, the, the Nuggets losing two in a row on the road or, or stuff like that. Um, it, it, but I don't know. There's a football mentality that's crept into college basketball where you, you go, okay, taking a couple losses is somehow, oh, you know, there's a crisis. And it, it I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it matters. But last year, to your point, UConn was the best team early. I can't remember where they started nine or 10 and zero. and we're like, who's going to beat these guys? Yeah. So yeah, so 14 and zero. Th- then if I remember right, they lost four of six around this time of year, and it was all Big East play. And we were like, wait a minute. They're not as good as we thought. What's wrong? And they kind of went through the rest of the season, lost in I think the semis of the Big East tournament, the Xavier. And then they they were unbeatable after that, and clearly the best team. It it's It's not that big of a deal. You know, figuring this stuff out, and these games are not easy to win on the road. And uh, uh, you know, some of the teams like that that they're playing are legit; they're good teams. So if you don't have, if you don't play well, you you have a chance of losing all these games. But a loss is not as big a deal sometimes as people make of it. And uh, uh, you know, kind of ha- how you handle that loss and recover from it, and bounce back, and use it to to help you in the future is the is the issue.
0: Yeah, I I wanted to uh, also ask one John Calipari question because for the first time, I I never would have thought this was possible in his first like eight seasons, but at the end of the Tennessee game, people are filing out and uh, I'm heading down to do the press conference. I hear one fan. It was just one fan out of 21,000, but one fan yelled out, fire Calipari. And uh, I think there's... I don't I don't want to say, you know, obviously he's got the lifetime contract, so I don't think there's any, you know, his job status is fine. But I think there is a level of of angst with, with the fan base based on their postseasons. Uh, you know, they haven't gotten out of the first round or out of the first weekend, I think, since 20 uh, 2019, if I'm not mistaken. And you know, there's just some uneasiness. Like like the marriage is is coming into some troubled waters here. Um, but I but I wanted to think about the bigger picture with coaches in general uh, right now in terms of the ones with the experience, like Calipari, the Izzos of the world, in this changing landscape with everything coming into play, Transport portal, NIL of of college basketball. Do you do you feel like there's just a uh, Uh, like we've reached new levels of impatience with, with coaching and and with programs. And there's, there's no longer the, you know, we're going to wait and see somebody develop or we're going to wait and see how somebody can lead this. And it, and it's, it's microwave. Now it's automatic. We have to do this. We have to have final four. We have
1: to be here now. There probably is some of that, um, I don't know that it's that much greater than it used to be in that regard. And with regard to that one fan and it's probably more than that, that in frustration after a loss as fire the coach all that I get that. That that's fine. You know, say what you want, feel the way you want. Um, that's fine. What I would ask that fan or those fans is, okay, who do we get? Who do you want? Yeah. Because I do like my brother lives in Louisville. I'm uh, you know, my my uh my niece and nephew are both Kentucky grads. We've got a, a big Kentucky background in our family, and one of the one of the things when Tubby Smith was at the end of his tenure at Kentucky, I remember a lot of my brother's friends saying, you know, it's time for Tubby Smith to go, and I didn't agree. Uh, but but you know, fans can feel the way they want. I wasn't arguing, but I said, well, who who are you going to get? And when they said Billy Gillespie, um, I said, okay, well. I don't think you're going to be happy with that, but okay. And they weren't happy with that. It didn't work out particularly well. And that's nothing against Billy Gillespie, who is an outstanding coach at Texas A&M, all that, and still is. But I would ask that fan, okay, who do you want? Because um, if you look at Kentucky's history and you look at the banners up there and the Final Four appearances, um, they would have been screaming fire so-and-so at any given time. I mean, it went – uh, I you know the '78 championship that Joe B Hall won. When was the next one they won? '96. Yeah, that, that's a long time. And Kentucky was competitive for a lot of those years in between. And the issue is to me, are you competitive year after year? And Kentucky has been that. And I still don't think there's been a. I still don't think Kentucky gets credit for the run they had. 96, 97, 98. I mean, that program was a overtime period away from a three-peat, which we haven't seen since UCLA. And Derek Anderson was hurt uh, during that period. You have him, and and it's three in a row with two different coaches. Uh, That's extraordinary. And Tubby Smith was a fabulous coach, as is John Calipari. (laughs) So part of me doesn't understand some of this stuff. But I would ask, you know, who who do you want? The second thing, CL, on on your question – Um, like right now there is a changing landscape. Um, but it, 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 that's the fault of the NCAA. Um, it should have been changed a long time ago and the change, the fix is easy, but they don't want to do it. But the constant complaining by coaches right now, as you know, they can't have relationships or it's transactional, I hate to break this to them, but it's always been transactional. Mm -hmm. Um, you always tried to recruit the best players and you signed them to a, a national letter of intent, and you bound them to the university, you had to get a signature on the bottom line, on the dotted line, excuse me, in order. It, it's always been transactional. And if you can't have relationships with players now, you can't have relationships with, with them, period. Yeah. You know, you're saying we have to have them locked in. You know, when I was playing, the coach said, my way of the highway, and there was no highway. <laughs> now, if you say my way the highway, there is a highway, and they don't like it. And now players have choice. And one of the things that always has made me laugh is when right now you'll have coaches that are saying, they have all these people in their ear. You know, so many voices in their ear tell them you're not playing enough. You need to transfer all that stuff. They had players in, or they had people in their ear tell them to go play for you. Mm -hmm. Now, Now, what they're saying is when they had no experience in your system, They made the choice and they're bound by it. Then after being experienced in your system and with you, they choose to leave. And that's a bad decision. When they had less information and chose to play for you, that was the good decision. When they have more information and choose to leave, that's the bad decision and it's somebody else's fault. Um, If it requires coaches to change how they do things, you're going to have to adapt. And I, I feel badly for them that it's more difficult now, but, um, but I, I, I don't see the, the, the upheaval problem. Like Purdue's figured it out. UConn's figured it out. You know, you're telling me that these other places can't, you can figure it out. It's not that big of a deal. So adapt to it. And if relationships are so important to you as the number one thing, I would suggest high school. Because high school, you can have relationships with guys, go to their birthday parties, know all their parents. It's freaking fantastic. <laughs> um, they don't want to do that, and this stuff about you know the college football thing now is making me crack up too. One coach leaves Boston College to go into the NFL, and he had an NFL background before he went to Boston College. Now college football is so, so screwed up. There's going to be an exodus to the NFL like come on man like he didn't leave Alabama he left Boston College and and there aren't that many NFL jobs out there so yeah. the, we're all hand-wringing over a, a a relatively small issue and college football has never been more popular nor has college basketball been more popular than it is now
0: yeah well, I will uh let you go I have two more questions I want to get out here. One was uh one was related to Kenny Payne at Louisville. Uh I, I didn't realize you had family family here in town, but um obviously they struggled last year 4 and 28. Uh they they're still struggling this year although they've they've shown some flashes here, you know, winning at Miami, winning against Florida State. Um if they can continue, and, and their schedule was front-loaded. They played the toughest teams in the league all in January, essentially. And this, they'll play more teams that are in middle of the pack and lower tier uh, to close out. If they can get some victories, let's say if they get five victories, how much – I don't even know if it's contingent on the victories. But if they show progress, is there is there grounds to give Kenny Payne a third year? or do you think that it's already too damaged, you know, after these first two seasons to to continue?
1: The short answer to that, CL is I don't really know. Um the, the, we all serve at the pleasure of our employer. So whatever that employer chooses to do, that's the that's number one. The reasons behind making a decision are a little bit more complicated. So it, 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 like, I think Kenny Payne is not only a great person, great recruiter and all that stuff. I think he's a really good coach. The results uh, in years one and two don't bolster that opinion. Um, they haven't won. And, and it's hard to argue uh, with that bottom line, especially in today's game when the transfer portal is available and players are more readily available uh, in order to build a program. Uh, you know, if this were 20 years ago, you'd say, "Hey, you know, you got to have a grace period because you got to go out and recruit, and let these players mature together, and all that stuff." Today's landscape is a little bit different, so impatience uh, is is a little more understandable. Um, what I would say is that the variables that that are the most difficult to deal with are when fans stop coming to the games and interest wanes, and that hits the bottom line. That puts a lot more pressure on decision makers, and it also you're saying, what are recruits thinking? Like, are they are they are they in the back of their minds or the front of their minds? Are they going wait a minute if I if I go there, am I going to be suffering through the guy I want to play for getting fired? Uh, I went through that. I had to think about that when I was going to Duke. Um, people don't remember this, but Coach K was was yeah. thought to be on shaky ground when I committed to him. And my teammates committed to him in 1982. That sounds absurd right now to even talk about, but it, it's true. And, uh, and it's a very real thing. So if if making a change anywhere, not just Louisville, but making a change anywhere gives you a reset and brings people back in and maybe solves that issue that you may think exists in recruiting, you may see a, a team do that. Um, that's the, that's sort of what I consider to be the reality of these decisions. Uh, and then money comes into it. How much is it going to cost you to make a change and all that stuff? Um, but I'd ask the same question. If not him, then who? And, uh, um, it's a, it's a horrible situation for a coach to be in because, and it's horrible. It's even worse for the players, um, to, to have that. Cloud of negativity surrounding you all the time. When every game you go into, you're going, Jesus, this, it, it, you know, what are we going to have to deal with now? Is really debilitating. And uh, but, but I, I'm not arguing. Fans get to feel the way they want. I'm not arguing with how they feel or what they say or what they do. Do what you want. But it does. It, it does. It is kind of a self fulfilling prophecy when the negativity takes over. Um, and I can hark back, as you can, too, to different programs where, where fans were hoping their team would lose so they could get the result they wanted. And that that's that's no fun for the players. And it's not, you know, look, I can say it's not right or it's not fair. Right or fair doesn't enter into this. Um, I, I, I don't argue with fans. It's your program. You decide how you want to handle it. But uh, uh, but the the situation that surrounds a program in, in this in, in that realm is really difficult to deal with for everybody.
0: Yeah. I'll let you go on this. You saw the best two teams in the ACC in Chapel Hill on Saturday and Carolina and Duke went against each other. Um, how many teams? I think those are the only two locks as of right now for the NCAA tournament. How many teams ultimately from the league do you see getting in?
1: Probably around five is my guess, given that, you know, the problem the ACC has right now is some of their brand names, Louisville is one of them, are, are not as competitive. So you go into those games, it's still hard to beat Louisville. It's not as hard to beat Louisville as it was to beat Duke and North Carolina and all that stuff, but it's hard to beat them. If you take a loss to Louisville, if you take a loss to Notre Dame, if you take a loss to, to Syracuse, some of these programs – that have at Florida state that have traditionally been truly outstanding. It really hurts you. And the, the numbers game that the NCAA tournament selection committee plays with how teams are ranked and how games are valued, um, is really difficult to overcome. And the ACC had a really good non-conference record, but not as good as some other, and, and the the value of the games that they won not as good as some other leagues and it hamstrings them a little bit. Um, so you know the bigger league is not always a great thing in that regard. Um, so I I think the ACC is really good at the top. Uh, I think at the bottom it's not very good. And you go to the Big Twelve, every game they play is a, it seems like it's a quad one game. And and even when you lose those games, it doesn't hurt you in the in the rating system. Uh, ACC, you lose to middle or, or bottom, and it hurts you. Yeah. And it's really debilitating for like, if you're trying to build and you're one of the bottom teams and you're beating other bottom teams or middle teams, you don't get as much credit that, that means you got to go out and, and pick off the, the big shots. And there just aren't that many, aren't as many, uh, aren't as many high value games on your schedule to be able to bolster your numbers. It, it, it's a really difficult situation to be in.
0: Indeed. Indeed. Well, I always appreciate your insight, Jay. Thank you so much for joining
1: me. Always a pleasure. Thank you, C.L.
0: That will conclude another episode of the C.L. Brown Show. I thank you for tuning in. You could have stopped at any podcast in the world and you stopped on mine. If you feel so inclined, please click on those subscribe buttons, leave a positive review because we need more love in this world, or just sit back, relax, catch a new episode when it drops next Wednesday i also like to give a shout out to a couple of new listeners I have, my sisters, (laughs) Carol and Sandy. And no, we're not a stranger or anything. I just never told them I was doing a podcast. Um, So thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next week.